Today is our um, annual business meeting, so I like on these days to often talk about different church-related things. And so today we're going to talk about why church. How many books does the New Testament have? 27, right? The New Testament has, right? And the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels. They detail for us the account, the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed that the whole rest of the New Testament, that the remaining 23 books of the New Testament are all about the church? It's written for the church or to the church or about the church. Have you ever thought that Church is one of the main themes of the New Testament. See, the church is not an afterthought of God. And the true church is not some man-made institution. No, church is the purposeful plan of God. Church is the purposeful plan of God. Well, today I want to give you seven reasons why church is so important to each of us. There are many Picked out seven. The first reason is that church is a family reunion. If you have your scriptures with me, with you, uh, turn in your scriptures to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. Mark 3, 31 through 35, as we see this whole idea of church as family. The scripture says, and as Mother and his brothers came. Standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, Jesus, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking out at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. See, Jesus so often took these public moments to teach an important truth. And he wasn't being cold towards his earthly family. He wasn't being disrespectful to his mother. He had just started his ministry. And his family just didn't understand what Jesus was doing. What is going on? They're confused. Just a few months ago, he was a carpenter following his earthly father's heritage. But now the time had arrived, and he started out on his heavenly father's mission. What's going on with Jesus? Surely Jesus, my brother, he can't be the Messiah. It can't be him. His family is understandably struggling, trying to put things together. But later we see that Jesus' mother and his brothers are included with the disciples in Acts 1.14. They're included with the true followers of Christ after his death and resurrection in that upper room. You see, their confusion became clarity as the eyes of their hearts were opened to see Jesus for who he really is as their Lord and Savior. Jesus' earthly brother, James, would not only put his faith in Jesus as his Messiah, but would later become a leader of the very first church ever and wrote 
the book of James that starts off saying, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What Jesus was teaching in Mark 3 is that there's a new definition of family for those who are united with him. Family isn't just with whom you are born. Family is also with whom you have been born again. How beautiful is that? Jesus wanted everyone to understand that when you become a believer, when you put your life into following Jesus Christ, you become a part of his family. The Bible says we're adopted into his family, making us his brothers and sisters. John 1, 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Daddy, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are our father's children, joint heirs with our brother, Jesus Christ adopted by the Holy Spirit through faith into the family of God. Again, we see adoption in Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What a powerful, beautiful passage about our true family ties. We're all brothers and sisters Children of God, and not just adopted children into the family of God, but heirs, full heirs, fellow heirs with Jesus, the Son of God. Imagine now all the benefits of being part of the family of God are ours. We are included by God's grace into the very inheritance God has given to his Son. See, family is a biblical word. It describes our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Did you ever think that every time we gather together that we're having a family reunion? We're family. You have the crazy uncles, right? You have the seniors who love to talk about the old days. You have the teens all with their latest technologies. You have the young couples and their children, the ladies all getting caught up on each other's lives, and the men all sharing their latest work adventure or talking sports. And, and then you have all the kids running around, playing together. See, church is family. It's a family reunion, and it should be because we're family. 
All that's missing every Sunday is some fried chicken and potato salad, some great desserts. You got a family reunion. See, one of the great reasons why church is so awesome is because church is family, caring and serving and helping and encouraging and accepting family. Well, secondly, one of the awesome things about church is that church is a classroom. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. One of the critical functions, one of the most creative and fun and purposeful functions of the church is to teach. Romans 15.14 says, I am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. The book of Proverbs begins so powerfully about the importance of godly instruction. It says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness and justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, that the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. All true knowledge begins with a reverential fear of God. Because you see, God has designed his church to be a classroom full of instruction and wisdom and guidance and knowledge and doctrine. We work hard with great passion to teach God's word at every level and all the differing seasons of life and from children to teens to young adults to seniors to single and married and male and female, from our Word of Life clubs to Sunday school, from vacation Bible school to the Sunday morning service, effective, creative, sound teaching is at the heart of what makes church so awesome. It is the mission of God's church. It is our mission to be a place of instruction in the truth of God's Word. Learning the Bible, learning God's truth is critically important because as we learn it, we can then apply it to our lives. See, learning the Bible doesn't, doesn't have as its goal mere knowledge. Knowledge is, is not the end goal of biblical instruction because true knowledge will by necessity change our behavior. Biblical truth applied and lived out in our regular daily lives is why we diligently labor in teaching the scriptures. The sound teaching of God's word is necessary for all of us to keep us true to God. Methods change, and they should. But the message doesn't change, and it shouldn't. I have an important responsibility of teaching the truth of God's word. And many of you share in that responsibility throughout our church, teaching God's word. It's both a great joy and a great and serious accountability. 
But we all have the responsibility and the joy of receiving God's word and living it out. The lack of knowledge of how to handle explosives could mean you could lose your arm or even your life. But the lack of knowledge about God and his word, about Jesus and his love, is even more destructive. Because it could cost you eternal life. See, church is a classroom teaching us the ways of our God. Well, next, third, thirdly, church is a refuge. Turn in your Bibles there to Hebrews chapter 6. These wonderful, powerful words that draw us into our God. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Follow along as I read. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Passage teaches us that God is our refuge, that we have a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul, that we have a hope, a certainty, an expectation, an anticipation that we get to enter behind the curtain. That inner place behind the curtain is a picture of the Holy of Holies, the very symbolic presence of God, which in the temple only the high priest could go, and only once a year on that Day of Atonement. As we saw last week, one of the great benefits of being a true follower of Christ is that through him, we have direct access, continual access to our God. Jesus has torn that, turn, that curtain. He has broken down the separation through his death and resurrection, opening up for us God as our refuge, our anchor, our hope. If you look back there at Hebrews verses, chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Notice the pronouns that are used. It's important. The pronouns that are used are we and us. See, the focus isn't individual but corporate. These truths aren't so much about the individual but about us. God is our refuge together. God is our anchor together. God is our hope together. According to the dictionary, the word refuge means a source of help and relief or comfort in times of trouble. See, the church is a place to seek help when you have a need. The church is God's ordained place to find relief from your burdens. The church is an anchor for our souls in these stormy days. The church is the place to find comfort when we are hurting. The church is a place to find grace for our sins. The church is a place to find hope in our sorrows. Why? 
Because the church is a place where Jesus rules and reigns. The church is a place where Jesus is glorified and adored. Jesus, as the head of the church, uses his church to get his will done in our lives, to give us the hope and the comfort to be the refuge that we seek. God does the work, but the instrument he wants to use to make it happen is you. It's me. It's us. It's church. Church is our refuge because Jesus, the head of the church, is our refuge. Church is our anchor because the church is the body of Christ and he is our anchor. Church is our hope because Jesus has opened up heaven through his death and resurrection. Church is Jesus' designed place for him to do his work in us and through us. Well, next, number four, we see that church is a billboard. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 through 3 says, You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Think about this. You're a letter. You're a letter of recommendation from God to be read by all. You're a letter of recommendation from God. See, if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, then you're a walking billboard of the work of God in your life to be read and observed by all. As walking billboards of Christ to be read by all, we need to be living and sharing the truth that has made all the difference in our lives, the truth of the gospel, that the love of God has saved us from the wrath of God through the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus, our Lord. God has designed his church to be the main tool that he uses to reach the world with his gospel. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said that. Every day we influence people's point of view about God, about the gospel, about church. You are a letter written from Jesus, written to the world. The visual expression of your faith is there for everyone to see. And they're watching us. We're a walking billboard. You see, your commitment to church speaks volumes to those who are trying to figure out, is church important? If we truly believe that the church is God's ordained plan for reaching the world for Christ, if we truly believe that the church is God's ordained place for faith and hope and love to abound, if we truly believe that that the church is God's ordained place for worship and instruction in him, if we truly believe the church is the body of Christ, then we must show it by our actions. Is church the thing you have to do on Sunday? Or is church the thing you get to do on Sunday? I read about a church that had such an eagerness to be together worshiping God that people would come early to fill the front seats. Now, that's not typical, and that's not expected, right? 
But there's something there, right? There's something important in that. An eagerness, an anticipation, an enthusiasm in our souls that we have come to learn about the living God, his word and his truth. We have come to encourage and to love God's people. We have come to worship and adore Jesus Christ. Such an eagerness, such an anticipation that should bring us together, together as his church. People are reading your life as a letter of recommendation for God, for his gospel, for his church. What is your life telling them? Next, we see number five, that church is service. Again, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, we're going to look at two great verses in Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. I love these verses. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. It says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. It's a great verse. Now, it could have stopped after, let us do good to everyone, right? The verse could have stopped there, because everyone includes everyone, which would include everyone that's also in the household of faith. But it doesn't stop there. It says to do good to everyone, But you better especially, you better redouble your efforts to do good to those in the household of faith, to those in church. See, one of the things that makes church so awesome is that we are actually all here to be on each other's side. We're all in for each other. We're to be the greatest cheerleaders in each other's lives. Church is a place where God wants us to do all those amazing one another passages of the Bible, to love one another, encourage one another, to serve one another, build each other up, to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to forgive one another, to bear one another's burdens. That's church. See, God has designed a church to function like a body, with each part serving and supporting all the parts. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this in verses 4 through 11. It says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God has given us a variety of gifts for a variety of services, for a variety of activities, but all of that diversity comes from the same Spirit to give all glory to the same Lord. All that diversity is for the common good of the body of Christ. See, we have at church all personality types, all types of people with organizational skills or extroverts and introverts. We have cup half full people. We have cup half empty people. We have people with skills with their hands. We have people with skills of administration and management. We have people who are wonderfully creative 
and others who would say they don't have a creative bone in their body. We have people who can sing and those who would say they can't carry a tune in a bucket. We have people from all age groups with incredibly diverse backgrounds and experiences. We have servants and leaders and hospitality types and go-getters and on and on and on. Folks, that's the body of Christ. That's the huge variety of God-given gifts and skills and experience and knowledge. That's one of the great privileges of our lives, is that we get to use all that God has given us for the common good of each other, for our church, for his church. So when you run into a personality that rubs you the wrong way, you know what you're supposed to do? Praise God, they're in our church. We need them. Because God put them in our body. And they have important skills, necessary abilities that God has given them to help all of us the common good. Because God is the great creator of variety and diversity. Just look at nature. Look at the incalculable variety and diversity of the plants and animals. God loves diversity. And his church is supposed to be an expression of that. Just think if everyone was the same. Just think what would be lost. The church is not a monochromatic, vanilla, uniform place where everyone's a clone of another. No, we celebrate the diversity, the variety of God's gifts and plans and personalities. We rejoice in God's variety because that is specifically what God wants in his church, because it's specifically what the Bible says God is doing in his church. 1 Peter 4, 8-11 through 11 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied Grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, this varied grace, this diversity of gifts and talents are are not just given to us, not only for our common good. But as it said there in 1 Peter, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. When the church and its diversity is serving each other and loving each other and forgiving each other, instructing each other, when the church and its varied graces and diversity is helping each other, God is glorified through Jesus Christ. Do you get it? God wants to use you in his church for our common good and to bring glory to Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? God wants to use you. Beloved, this is one of the most awesome things about church. God wants us to use us, each one of us, to touch the heart and the life of each other. God wants to use you to change eternity. God wants us 
awesome. Church is service. Well, next, number six. Why church? Because God said so. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One wrote, I don't think that the writer of Hebrew could make any more clear God's desire to have you regularly assembled together with his people. Realize that God wanting you to regularly attend church is for your good. He wants you and his people to encourage and to love one another, especially as the days grow darker and the time of Christ's return approaches. God commands us to go to church for our own good. Church is part of God's plan for every follower of Christ. Think about this. Today, right now today, in our world, millions of Christians risked their lives to go to church. I love this story. And it fits here very well. The great evangelist D.L. Moody was visiting a prominent Chicago citizen when the idea of church membership and church involvement came up. I believe I can be just as good a Christian outside the church as I can be inside it, the man said. Moody said nothing. Instead, he, he moved to the fireplace, blazing against the winter outside, and removed one burning coal and placed it on the hearth. The two men sat together and watched the ember die out. I see, the other man said. Don't you see that together we burn bright to the glory of God, but alone the flame dies. That's why the scripture says, do not neglect to meet together. Well, lastly, church is a celebration of Jesus. The heart of church at the center of our gathering is a celebration. Week after week, we come together to celebrate. What do we come together to celebrate? It's not really the best way to phrase that question. The better way to phrase that question is, who do we come together to celebrate? See, we gather together every Sunday to celebrate Jesus from our teaching, our praise and worship, from our preaching and our prayers, encouraging one another to bearing one another's burdens. It's all about Jesus. We're here to honor him and to worship him. We're here to lift up his name and his character high. We're here to learn about him. We're here to conform our lives to his example and his image. We're here to spur one another on to finding our hope and our purpose and our refuge in him. Again, if you'd like to, you can turn to your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. Romans 5, 18 to 21. Great truth about our scripture. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, 
so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, we have come today to celebrate what Jesus did and who Jesus is through his love. He came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin reigned in death, grace reigns in eternal life through Jesus Christ. We gather together to celebrate Jesus. It's all about him. Through Jesus, we have our right standing with God. Through Jesus' sacrifice, we're declared righteous, accepted by God in his abundant grace. Adam's one act brought spiritual death. Jesus' one act brings new life. Adam's one act caused us all to be sinners. Jesus' one act saves sinners. Sin ruled. Grace now rules. Is there anything better to celebrate? We have new eternal life. We have grace, grace greater, grace abundantly more than we could ask or imagine covering all of our sins, offering us forgiveness and life and hope. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We gather together this morning to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We were once not a people, but now we're God's people. We were once without mercy, but now we've received mercy. We gather together this morning to worship the Savior of our souls, to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? See, church is us. But it's not about us. We are the church, but we aren't the focus of the church. Why church? Because of Jesus. Because church is his body, his will, his hands, his feet, his word, his plan. Church is his agenda, his worship, his gospel, his message, his truth. The greatest reason why you should be a regular, passionate all in, serving, engaged attender in church is Jesus Christ. So why church? Church is our family. Every Sunday is a family reunion. Church is our classroom where we learn about God from his holy, inerrant word and we apply it to our lives. Church is our refuge, a place of hope and healing and grace. Church is a billboard where we are God's letter of recommendation, showing the world around us what Jesus has done, spreading the truth of his gospel, showing the value of his church, church's service, doing good, and being used of God to serve the household of faith to the glory of Christ. Church is God's plan 
for every follower of Christ. And church is a celebration, a celebration of who Jesus is and all that Jesus has done. What is church good for? Everything. Perhaps today is your day to reconnect, to recommit to God's great plan for every follower of Christ. Church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, now in these moments, as we've looked at your word, as we've looked at your truth, challenge us now. Take the truth that we've learned and apply it to our hearts and our minds and our attitude, changing our thinking, changing our thoughts, changing our hearts. Lord, we thank you so much for this, your plan, church. It means so much to us. It means so much to gather together. It's so important. It's so valuable. And this is your plan. This is your church. And so we offer back to you what you have so given to us, church, Poland Village Baptist Church, your church, for your son, the head of our church, the body of our church, Jesus Christ, in whom we love and serve, Jesus Christ, our Savior. In his name we pray, amen.